Merry Christmas. My name is John. I serve as one of the pastors here on staff. It's great to be with you this morning. It's good to open God's word together this morning. Singing Christmas carols and seeing trees and wreaths and lights, reading familiar Christmas passages always brings me a little comfort. This year, I don't know about you, but this year has been a a challenging year for me. Lots of things to work through, and as we get to the end of the year, it can feel a little busy and scattered, feeling like there's so much to do and reflecting on the year. can feel like we need some, some comfort, some things that we know and can rely on, can count on. I, I don't know about you, but I've had that feeling this Christmas. And I love the fact that we are in a very familiar Christmas passage. We've been working our way through Isaiah 9, verse 6. I'm going to read it for us this morning. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Today we're in the third Sunday of our Advent series, and we're going to focus on the name given to the Messiah of Everlasting Father. The truth is that few words evoke the kind of feelings or emotions we have when we hear the word Father. Some of us in this room feel an amazing sense of love and thankfulness. Others feel a real sense of pain and loss because the fathers they knew and loved are no longer with us. Others of us have unfulfilled longings for the kind of father that we never had. The truth is that some of us have had fathers who let us down. They didn't care for us the way that they should have. The truth is that sometimes even hearing the word father can take some of us to a memory or an experience that can be really difficult. And so if you are in that place this morning, I invite you to just stay with me in the moment. Tap your feet, wiggle your toes, take a deep breath to help your mind stay present this morning. Because the father that we are going to be talking about today is so very different. What I want us to hear clearly this morning, the aim that we have this morning as we work through this text, 
is that we will understand that Jesus is the perfect father. He has none of the sins, none of the shortcomings, none of the fallenness that our earthly fathers have had. In fact, anything good or anything right or anything beautiful that you can think of when you hear the word father, when that comes to mind, that comes from Christ. And that is perfected in Christ. If I'm honest with you this morning, the name Everlasting Father is the most difficult one for me to fully understand. It's difficult for me to wrap my mind around what Isaiah is saying when he says Everlasting Father. Maybe I'm just too practical, but I look at a couple verses just before we get to Everlasting Father, and he says a child will be born. So that makes me go, is this child somehow a father? What's happening? Is this some kind of reference to or allusion to the the Trinity? Are we saying that the, the father is here and the father and the son and the child and the father? It's difficult for me to wrap my mind fully around this name, Everlasting Father. It is truly a unique name to give to a child that's going to be born. So what is the author's intent? What's the author's intent in using the name Everlasting Father? What is Isaiah trying to communicate to an audience, to us even today? What's he trying to communicate about who Jesus, who the Messiah will be? That's the question before us this morning. So let's dig in a little bit. For me, sometimes it's helpful to understand what's being said by understanding what is not being said. So one thing that Isaiah, the author of this text, is not doing is making a statement about the Trinity. There's no reference or no allusion to the Trinity in this passage. Isaiah is not removing the title of Heavenly Father from God and placing it on Christ the Son. That's not what is happening in this passage. God remains our Heavenly Father. He holds that name and that title, and Christ remains the Son. The text is not about reassigning positions or talking about the relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's not what's happening in the text this morning. What the text is about is about a relationship between Jesus Christ and us. The text is about a relationship between us and the everlasting Father. What this name is about is a description of the character of Jesus, that he is the everlasting Father. It's a statement about his character. The man of Isaiah 9, 6 is fatherly. He is fatherly. 
What on earth could it mean? What does it mean that Jesus is fatherly? The Bible, throughout the Bible, the Bible draws attention to the similarities between earthly fathers and heavenly fathers. Let me give you an example of this. Luke 11, verses 11 through 13 says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Maybe some of you are thinking, "Eh, the way things went this morning. (laughs) Or if he asked for an egg, you would give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see the similarity, the knowledge, the, the way that a father would provide for their children, these good gifts, that's the same way that the heavenly Father will provide for us. This type of similarity, this type of similarity thing is going on in Isaiah 9, verse 6 as well. If we look in the context of the passage, the other names that are given and what is happening, I think we can make a case that this is what Isaiah wants to draw out, what he wants us to understand, is that this Messiah is going to be fatherly. I think we can draw it from the the passage itself. I think we can also draw it from the the knowledge we have about who Christ is. So if we connect what the prophecy says the Messiah is going to be like with what we know the Messiah was like, when we read through the Gospels and we look at the life of Christ and we look at how Christ explained himself, we can begin to understand what an everlasting father is like. So let me just, let me give three things that I think Three things I think are happening here as we think about Jesus being fatherly. The first is that Jesus is gentle and kind. The everlasting Father is loving, sensitive, caring, and tender towards his children. Jesus says about himself, the the scriptures explain that he is a father to the fatherless. Father to the fatherless. Those who are left with no father, he gives the kind of love and care that they need. Father to the fatherless. He says things like, let the children come to me. That verse is sort of played over and over and over. But if we actually pause for a second and we think about what it would have meant in that context to have a rabbi, a spiritual leader with crowds gathered around him, if we think about it in that sense, if we think about it in the sense of this is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, he says, let the little children come to me earth-shattering, that the little ones are part of what is happening here. In fact, they need to come close to the Messiah. 
That's the kind of father Jesus is. He says, you are orphans no more. I have come for you. He goes after those who need his love and his care. I have come for you, he says. So come to me, little children, and I am coming after you. He says he's father to the poor. Not just the physically poor, but those who are struggling emotionally, spiritually, those who are feeling impoverished. He is the father to the poor. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened. Come to me, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. This is the description that we have of this fatherly Jesus. This is the description that he gives us as he talks about himself. There's nothing about Jesus that is cold or distant or detached from what's happening or angry or harsh. Jesus is close to his children. Jesus listens to his children. Jesus wants to know the hearts of his children. The second thing that I think is going on here as we think about Jesus being fatherly, I think what's being highlighted is that he is our provider. He is our provider. And the ultimate provision that he provides is protection. So he is our provider, and the provision that he provides is our protection. Jesus describes himself in this role of provider and protector as a shepherd. Follow me here. I, I know that, has, I mean, I'm sure no one here has, is a shepherd or has spent any good time with a shepherd lately. Okay? So follow me here. But this is how Jesus describes himself in this fatherly role of provider and protector. The introduction of this idea of the divine being shepherdly actually begins way back in the book of Genesis. Jacob describes the love and care that the Lord has provided for him by saying, you have been a shepherd for all my life. This theme of shepherd continues on through the Old Testament. There's a famous passage we probably, many of us know well, and that's Psalm 23. Psalm 23 talks about the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus, in light of this understanding of this image of 
being a shepherd, the divine being a shepherd to the people. He picks up this idea in John 10, verses 11 through 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now listen, church. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Jesus then goes on to to talk more about this idea of shepherds. He, he uses this idea of being a shepherd in a parable in Luke 15. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. These images, these descriptions of Jesus as a shepherd are deeply symbolic. If you've ever spent any time with sheep, we used to go across the street to Klein Creek Farm. You guys know where that is? Klein Creek Farm, they've got these sheep there. You can interact with them and feed them and do all these sorts of things. And I'm always, we always would spend so much time just laughing because sheep are so stupid. <laughs> they act stupid. They do goofy things. For the people that were living in that day and they would have heard this description of them being described as sheep, they would have known exactly what that meant. It means that they cannot care for themselves. Sheep don't know how to feed themselves. They don't know how to find where to eat. They, if one of them jumps off a cliff, the whole flock goes with them. They don't know how to care for themselves. They don't know how to protect themselves. Have you seen these videos where, where these dogs bark at sheep and they make these formations up on the hillside? I mean, they're just these unique, really dependent, fully dependent on a shepherd. That's who sheep are. And that is who we are. We are just like sheep. We desperately need a shepherd. We need someone who can care for us and guide us, protect us from ourselves and from each other, right? We need a shepherd. The ultimate provision and protection that our good shepherd provides for us is the gift of salvation, protection from the the death that we deserve because of our sin. We can't save ourselves. We need a Savior, and Jesus has come to to rescue us, to save us. 
He laid down his life for us, shed his blood for us as a sacrificial father, paying the penalty for our sin. What a good shepherd. So fatherly Jesus is our gentle and loving father. And fatherly Jesus is our provider and our protector. And the third thing, the the final thing I would offer is that as everlasting father, he is also the, the giver of life. The Bible says that Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of all things. So Jesus has brought us physical life as the creator and the sustainer of all things. But more than that, he gives us spiritual life. Through our salvation, we are brought from death to life. We aren't brought from being bad to good, church. We're brought from death to life, dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins, rescued and given life. In the passage right before Jesus talks about being the good shepherd in John 10, he says that I have come that you may have life and life to the what? To the full. So there is so much more than just physical life that he gives us. He gives us this meaning and this purpose in our lives. Life to the full means that we follow after Jesus, that we live our lives like he lived his life. That our character is like his character and our concerns are like his concerns and our conduct towards each other and towards those in the world is like his conduct towards his people and those that he was trying to reach. He gives us life to the full, this full life lived with joy and meaning and purpose as we use our gifts to bring him glory and help others find and follow Jesus. He is the giver of life. Here's the thing. I know that many often ask this question of, well, this is, this is beautiful. This is, this is phenomenal. This is a, a father that I want to spend time with, but he feels so distant from me. Like I can't sit on his lap like the little children that came to him. And I can't see him and understand him and touch him and talk with him like those who were with him. But church, I want to encourage you today that Christ is just as much here with us in our midst through our faith. That through faith in him, through our belief in him as our Lord and Savior, we can feel and experience the love of Christ. That we can feel him as our everlasting Father. Maybe you have not, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you haven't cried out to him in faith before. This morning, you can simply just say to him, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. 
I need you as my Lord and Savior in my life. And he will enter into your life. And he will give you the salvation that you so desperately need. And he will give you this meaning and purpose. Your life will not be perfect. But your life will have this meaning in it. And you will have a Savior who is walking with you, guiding you and shepherding you and caring for you. Maybe some of you are struggling in your faith this morning. Maybe you're thinking, I have not talked to Jesus in a very long time. Maybe the burdens of life, the stress that you're in, the sin that is entangling, have you feeling like you could never re-engage with the shepherd. I want to encourage you this morning. The offer is the same. Come to Christ this morning. Lay your burdens before him this morning. In a little bit, we're going to close the service and we'll have people down here up front ready to pray with you. If you find yourself in that place this morning, come forward for prayer. Let these people care for you, pray for you, minister to you this morning. Well, I said earlier that the Bible often draws attention between the similarity of an earthly father and a heavenly father an earthly father and a divine father. But the Bible often draws our attention to how different they are as well. Drawing some clear distinctions between an earthly father and a heavenly father. And we see that happening here in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Jesus isn't simply the perfect version of an earthly father. He is so much more than that. Isaiah tells us this by using the word everlasting. Jesus is an everlasting father. Well, this is clearly very different than any earthly father because every earthly father will pass away. Their influence will end. Their care will end. Their provision and protection will end, but Christ is everlasting. He is a father that lasts forever. For me, when I hear that word everlasting, I immediately think of the future. Fatherly Jesus is going to care for me for the rest of my life and for the church and for everyone for all time. But here's the thing about the word everlasting. It isn't just looking forward. It isn't just thinking about the future. The everlasting father goes all the way back to the beginning of time. Isn't that mind-blowing to think about? Everlasting means he is the eternal father. Some have described it as the father of time. Before time and space and everything was created, he was there. Everlasting, eternal Father. Mind-blowing to think about. The person that has orchestrated all of this and created all of this and designed time and space itself knows me, knows you, and you, and you. Eternal forward and backward, and that this Jesus, this eternal father, this everlasting father, describes himself as a shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. 
the one. Let me pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you that you are our everlasting Father. That you are kind and gentle towards us. That you provide for us and protect us. That you give us life, life to the full. Lord, we stand in gratitude of who you are and for what you've done. This Christmas, Lord, I pray that we will remember we will remember more than just the songs and the lights, the presence and the family, that we will remember who you are and what you've done for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.